I'm Justin Simeon, and on this week's Don't At Me, I'm talking to star of Atlanta and Deadpool 2, Zazie Bates. And boy, is it a conversation you don't want to miss. Okay, guys, you're in for a treat, as am I, because I just met Zazie. Zazie or Zassi? You know what, Zassi, I'm going to be like a little insecure for the first That's totally okay. <laughs> 15 minutes. It's fine. But you know her because if you're like me, she's your favorite part of Atlanta. You're mm, my favorite part of Atlanta. And really? I love that show. There's a lot of favorite. There's a lot of things to love. But <laughs> when it's a van episode, I'm like super in. And uh, also, I have to say, for real, and it's not because you're here, you can ask my, mm -hmm. my boyfriend behind you, mm -hmm. you're our favorite part of Deadpool as well. Like, I'm oh, thank kind you. of obsessed with you. Thank you're also you. a cat person. I'm definitely a cat person. And we have young Miss Coco oh, hanging out. How old out. is Coco? You know, we think she's two, but homegirl was on the street. We just she picked her on up. The streets. And we were like, girl, you need to change your life. You need to change it. And oh, my God. Y'all got her off the literally, streets, literally? Literally. She was on the corner. She was doing her hustle. We were like, girl, this is not for you. And wow. so we got her. And so the vet has played. So I think she is now around two. Okay. I think she might be a little bit older. She, so she has a touch of that feral up in her. She does, but she has adjusted. Yeah. She's like, this is the only life forever. <laughs> ever wanted to live. Yeah. Well, I'm obsessed with Coco as well. <laughs> Any Hoosians, I didn't know. I mean, I found out about you through Atlanta. Mm -hmm. um, but what were you doing before then? Like, how did we get to know you? What was I doing before then? I was working at the Gray Dog in New York, if anybody is in What's the New Gray York. Dog? I'm not familiar. It's like um, upscale American sort okay. of, you okay. know, it's okay. just, it's it's a little spot. That was my nine to five. I was a server, and then that the year I booked Atlanta was the year I was able to quit my day job. Mm -hmm. So, um, and had you been acting before? I was acting non professionally for most of my life, but the I got an agent in 2014 and 2015. I booked Atlanta, so it was really quick. It was like it. a very fast introduction into sort of the depths of this industry, which has been a huge adjustment, you <laughs> oh know, for me um, and and my partner because um, we've been dating essentially the same amount of time that I've been kind of working professionally. Wow. And so we've both been kind of, I don't know how else to say, sort of like moved by this entire experience. Girl, but um, I get it. Yeah. Okay, I get it, exclamation point. Because me and Rick also met like right after – my movie went to Sundance. Dear white people, yeah. And so we met literally right before I was doing this mm -hmm. for a living. Like By the right... way, I love Tessa. Oh my god, is she the best? She's man. so She's just lovely. See what I love about the, in the two. And I'm I'm going to compare the two of you, and not because y'all are both really cute, light skin actresses, <laughs> but because you both really. I mean, I'm just meeting you now, mm. but you both have a very genuine. Quality, like you know, when there's I feel that way about you too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but you know, when there's people and you see them on TV or whatever, you're like, ah, I bet they're an asshole role. Yeah, or you, or you're like, yeah. I bet. you, the two of you are really exactly how you would hope oh, <laughs> you'd thank be. You. I mean, it's re it's real though. It's yeah. like I really, you know, I want to hang out with you when I see you on screen, and I want to hang out with you in real life. Mm -hmm. And what do you, you? So you talked about like there was an adjustment. I want to I want to talk about that because I also yeah had that adjustment. I want to know what that was like for you too. Yeah. Um, 
And also, this industry is crazy. This industry is crazy. It's nuts. I sort of perceive it as like, oh, okay, you know, like, okay, I still have my private internal life that's like happening within me and mm-hmm. within my kind of nuclear situation. Yes. Um, and then there's all this white noise around me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, within my own life, I'm like, ooh, I still got shit to figure out. Like, my ass hasn't done the dishes. Like, my ass needs to feed Coco. I'm like, <laughs> you know, or the just, cat is howling. you know, or even I can't just... relate to that at all. Rick, stop looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> we actually, somebody told us, we're like, you need at six in the morning to get like one of the timed feeders mm. because at five something, she's always talking to us and we're like, this is not the time. But, um, <laughs> You know, but even beyond that, like, I feel like there's a lot of also sort of internal things that I'm still trying to process that suddenly I'm considered an authority on, Mm. right? Like, whether that's sort of like my relationship with race or being a black woman in America or or being a biracial Mm. woman in America Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, hashtag dear white people. Uh And like, (laughs) um, you know, I think to suddenly have to put all of this self-exploration that we're all, you know, Mm -hmm. still a process of within ourselves to have that be public is really difficult. And I think also in general, there's sort of this culture now also of people when they express themselves publicly have no room to learn again. Do you know Mm, what I mean? Like, like uh, then that, Oh, you're bad. Yes. And there's no moving. You're fired. That's it. No, if you're canceled, f- if there's some people, okay, so there's to me, there's a line. There's some mm-hmm. people who I'm like, okay, you really should have known. I agree. I agree. But then there's some people who, yeah, I feel like, and when I say people, I mean, black Twitter is, is the part of Twitter I am most associated is the one that mm-hmm. I, if I'm, my feed is usually black people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Complaining about stuff, myself included. And, <laughs> <laughs> and like, I feel like when somebody is famous, that's all mm-hmm. it is. That's all that they've done so far is they've yeah. done something re- well enough to become famous at it yeah. that they have to speak perfectly on every single issue they are irredeemable if they don't and if there's any kind of misstep or misspeak or something from their past they once said it's like you know they have to account for it Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking like how many of y'all out here have had some kind of experience where you said something stupid or where you did just didn't realize or you were still in a place of ignorance yeah um like if i for instance Whatever group of ad executives that did not include a black woman decided that, you know, one of the, was it Kylie Jenner? I don't even remember the girl handing a oh, Pepsi to somebody Pepsi. Yeah, that's Kendall. was going in racism. Like, I, I mm-hmm. would have been like, y'all, that's not a, that's probably not a wise decision. Yeah. You know, yeah. so like that to me, it's like I wasn't even offended by it so much as I was like, who, what ad agency? I felt bad for her. I was like, she didn't even know. She didn't Because she, she's, you know. But I, she, but she kind of should have known. She should have known. <laughs> she should have known. She should have known. But I'm also kind of like, you know, I've had this, I was talking about this, when RuPaul has, RuPaul has said some things this this past year mm-hmm. that have gotten people up in a tizzy, honey. They're <laughs> upset with Ru. And I, I stand for RuPaul. I love RuPaul. And I just, I felt like, oh, this is not, it's like we forgot that he got us to a point where we could have a show like Pose on TV. Yeah. Like we forgot all yeah. of that history because of a couple of mis. I just, oh, I, I really, I struggle with that. People aren't brands. Yeah. And also I think, you know, for him, the amount of, um, just because of who he is, the amount of, I feel like, prejudice he had to face within his life to just be his authentic self, yeah. right? And he should be able to, for himself, identify what that is for himself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that doesn't have to necessarily align with what 
Alicia thinks or with mm-hmm. what Peter thinks. Right. I think he can have his own definition of what that means, and that can potentially be expanded or worked upon, but he should be allowed to have the space of this This is what it means to me, Yeah. especially since he also was one of the people that created that space. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay. I, I had a conversation with Tyler Perry recently mm-hmm. where, um, first of all, He's kind of the shit. Like, he called me out of the blue and just, like, poured oh, into really? me as, like, a I filmmaker. But, like, he wanted to know if we had beef. Sorry, Tyler, if I'm telling the story, but uh-huh. whatever. I think it's okay. But, like, uh, he wanted to know if we had beef because at the beginning of my career, I mean, the first thing you see from me, mm-hmm. like, if you just start from the beginning, mm-hmm. is, a tr- is a concept trailer on the internet for Dear White People that begins with, man, fuck Tyler Perry, okay? <laughs> so I can understand why <laughs> he might wonder, yeah. do we have some kind of beef? And and I told him, I was like, I was honest with him. I was like, when I first started, I had a lot of resentment for you, Tyler, because I felt like the only thing black anybody wanted was that. Yeah. And that's not what I had to offer. And if it wasn't that, nobody wanted to hear from me. Yeah. And I put that resentment on him when, in fact, the resentment belongs to the people who decided that he was the only version of black that yeah. they could market. Yeah. And so we talked about that. And I told him, like, a shift happened at me when the movie came out and the show began to come out, where I would be sitting in these Q&As being ripped apart for what I didn't put in the movie. Yeah. And, you know, this is not a woe is me thing, but it just, I realized, oh, this is the cost of being in the ring. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. Because, frankly, I think, you know, us, but most people, I think, feel a little disenfranchised in life. Yeah. And when you see somebody that's doing it, your, your assumption, the easiest thing to do is to sit back and criticize. Yeah. Because you don't think you can get in that ring, too. Yeah, and, and people don't voice. realize how hard it is to just get anything made. Oh, my God. It's and the compromises so you have hard. to exactly. make. Exactly, and the compromises you have to make in order to get funding or in order to just have a team behind you. Yeah. It is so hard. And it's made me have so much more empathy for material that's out there. And um, That may not be perfect. Yeah, because you're like, okay, you know, how come that's the only dark-skinned woman? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes, you know, you go and you try to get. Mm-hmm. You have an ideal of what you want. And then sometimes you have a day to make a decision or else you're going to run out of money. You can never make the thing. And you got to go with the person in front of you who's yeah. doing a pretty good job. Yeah. It's just like you. there's so many things that go into it. It's not like we sit in a room and sort of say, these are the things that we are going to tell people yeah. to do. Like, it's yeah. not like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> I think also, I, how long have you been working on Dear White People? Or like, how long has that been like in your in your soul? 2005 was the first draft wow. in college. Yeah. Wow. Terrible draft. But Where that was the first. Where did you go to college again? I know. I went to a school called Chapman okay. in Old Town Orange. Mm-hmm. And they have an excellent film school. <laughs> that sounds. I know. It's in Old. Ch- not Chapman in Chapman. Old Town Orange. <laughs> not only is it in Orange County, it's in Old Town Orange, mm-hmm. honey. And when I went there, it was not as popping as it is right now. And I, when I tell you. Well, I even think about like you and I existing in the industry as we do right now mm-hmm. would not have been happening in 2005. No. I think we oh, God, have no. definitely hit. I think a lot about sort of, you know, the generalized white market, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I he- I feel like I hear this word a lot of like. Um, you know, okay, right now, you know, we want to we want to do right now. What's in the moment is is stories with women that's like on theme right now. Mm-hmm. That's what people want right now. Um, stories about like minorities, and, uh, you know, like and like curly hairs having a moment and stuff like that. And it makes me feel sort of like okay, sort of being registered as like I, the generalized 
media by that being sort of quote unquote I guess the white media I feel like they're seeing oh this is this moment to capitalize mm-hmm. on this thing it makes you feel like a product it makes you feel like a product and makes it, I think also makes for me it makes me feel like but this this isn't a moment for me this this is for us this is our whole lives the whole life. this is our whole lives yeah. I genuinely think like <laughs> I think in 2005, I don't think I would have been cast as Domino. <laughs> you no, know what first I mean? of all, <laughs> that, not only would you have not been cast as Domino, okay? Mm-hmm. We would, Atlanta would not be on the air. Atlanta would not be on the <laughs> air. Your white people would, would not be on None the of air. This would None be of that happening. would be on the air, yeah. And like, <laughs> I think. You know, it, we would still be relegated to corners of the industry mm-hmm. where no one would know who we are. And I think that conversation needs to change of like, this is the topical thing versus mm-hmm. this is just the new additional constant mm-hmm. of Correct. the media we are going to consume. Because it is going to get to a point where, like, the one black girl slot in the superhero movie is not going to be enough. Mm-hmm. Because it, it isn't already. But, mm-hmm. like, you know, Robert Thede and I were talking about diversity. It mm-hmm. shouldn't be called diversity. It should be called normal. Mm-hmm. Let's make this movie look normal. Let's cast it with America. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. let's have the movie look like the country, any city looks like. But, by the way, you were my absolute favorite thing in Thank Deadpool 2. so much. And, or they edit it real well. <laughs> <laughs> no, you were, you were fantastic in that. Thank you. Really, truly. Thank you. All right, girl, hold on for a second. We got to take a break and be right back. You are listening to Don't At Me. Thank you for listening to this KCRW podcast. In case you don't know us, KCRW is public radio in Los Angeles, bringing the best of NPR to Southern California. We're also known for our own brand of bold and innovative programming, evocative storytelling, taste-making music, and audio documentaries that are little movies for your ears. You can join our community to support this show and others, or make a one-time donation just to say thank you. Find out more at kcrw.com join. When did it happen? Was it after the first season of Atlanta? We were like, oh, shit, this industry is crazy. <laughs> Was it like? <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think I suddenly had this reckoning of privacy and the value of. Um, mm, yeah. You know, I'm kind of probably like every millennial. I, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it was, I think, it just this test of um, – I don't know. I don't even know how to say this. I'm even thinking of the first season of Atlanta, the weekend before I left. And I don't even know why. I think it's like a self-worth thing. And, you know, who knows where that comes from. But I was so excited. But then I pictured this black cloud of I'm going to fail. And it just felt like this black depth of Mm -hmm. nothing. And I remember the weekend before, I was like crying and sobbing. And I was like, David, you don't understand. I'm going to die. I was like saying I'm going to die. And I couldn't. I think it's I think it's sort of the ultimate sort of fear of failure and having that be so public. And then are you enough? And is your work enough? And I'm, I mean, I'm constantly striving to just do my best work and I'll see something and be like, man, you know, I could have done this, I could have done that. But yeah. like, that's the beauty is like, you're always growing and as long as you're always pushing to strive to grow. But then even I think being a black woman in America and sort of within this culture now and, you know, I think I was like, 
I'm entering this place also of huge responsibility and I don't know if I can handle it. Yeah. I don't know if I can handle being a voice and I, and and I've been mm. given this beautiful beautiful opportunity and this beautiful platform and um you know I meet all these people who are like I I started wearing my hair out because of you and I yep. you know I identify with this character I identify when you wrote about this or talked about this and and I'm like oh my god people are hearing me and and here I have this beautiful precious like I don't this I don't, responsibility, I guess, for yeah. lack of a better word, and I just don't want to break it, and yeah. I and I want to take care of it. But I think with that kind of, I feel like I get so protective that I, I'm like, then I I can't say anything because I well because we have to be perfect. We have to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. we have and to be absolutely perfect. We can't fail. Yeah, we only have so many opportunities. Yeah, so we can't ruin them. Exactly. And like you said, if we misstep. Bring in the other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring in the next light-skinned black woman. Exactly. Like it's, it's sort of like there's no – the degree to which you can fuck up is mm-hmm. feels a lot limited mm-hmm. compared to some of our counterparts. And then say. also even understanding – Even more like, so for you than me, I would say. For a black woman, I feel like yeah. it's – I still at least got male privilege. I got some. You got male privilege, <laughs> but you're gay. I, I'm also a homosexual. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I read straight sometimes, mm-hmm. and that lets me in certain rooms that mm-hmm. some of my friends can't get in. I mean, I've I, listen, it's, it's a mind fuck. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And then I also, I think, while engaging with all of that, also still acknowledging my privilege of, again, being a biracial woman mm-hmm. and being light-skinned. And, like, I think about there are all these other women and other men who who would not get cast in the things I think I've gotten cast in because they don't read as kind of passing Mm, enough, you know? mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I think that's a really important thing to also talk about. And um, That's the thing I love about you and Tessa. Y'all both talk about that. mm, You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, sometimes that just makes a difference. If you can just acknowledge it. Yeah, just bringing it it up, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, I think, I talked about this before, but I think the reason why Justin Timberlake was denied access to the cookout for a while (laughs) Is when he was asked about the question, well, what do you think about being a white person who is the only one who gets to make R&B? Mm-hmm. Just not being able to answer that question in a way, you know, I, and I get it because he, I think, I think he's a real artist and I feel like he maybe felt a little attacked in the moment. But yeah. just not being able to say, yeah, it is weird that I can make this and black people can't. It's yeah. weird. And yeah. then move on. You know, it's, sometimes that really lets people kind of just know you get it too. Yeah. Because we're all kind of in the system. Yeah, <laughs> you know we what are. I mean? Yeah, we are. We're not really making it. We're just in it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what I love about what you said too is that black cloud thing you talk about. I mean, I had... I had I had to go through the movie to realize I had depression. You know, mm-hmm. I've had it all my life. I've had mm-hmm. it probably since I was like 14 or 13. Yeah. And I never thought it was a real thing. I thought it was just sort of like a reason to sell pills like yeah. on TV or like yeah. be happy all the time, whatever. Yeah. And I just thought like, yo, when I fulfill my dream of being a filmmaker, when I can pay my bills and I have a boyfriend, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be mm-hmm. fine. And then all those things happened, and I couldn't get out of bed. In the yeah, morning. what was like the triggering thing for you, or it what was, made it, you feel? It was after the movie. Came, first of all, it was after the movie came out, and I remember. Isn't, isn't that also so interesting? At the peak of your success, yeah, or at the beginning, yes, when it was you all did, you working, you did a peak there, yeah. but like, yeah, when it was all working, yes, and that's when it re- rears its truth because it didn't fix it. Mm-hmm. I thought when I got there, it would fix the th- the, the feelings, yeah. you know, that I, oh, I finally I got what I wanted, so therefore, but none of that happened, and. I remember walking by the poster, which was hanging in my – first of all, it took me forever to hang it up in my apartment. I finally mm-hmm. hung up the poster in my apartment. And I looked at it, and I was like, 
wow, I really did that. It was like yeah. hanging right next to, I had this like, uh, I had this closet that I made my office uh, in my apartment on Miracle Mile. And that's where I wrote Dear White People. Mm-hmm. And it was hanging next to it. And I, I said, wow, I really did that. Mm-hmm. I went from that closet to something that made that poster. And that was a year and a half after it came out. That was yeah. the first hint of pride that I felt about the project, truly. Yeah. It had just been fear up until that point. Yeah. Fear that we wouldn't make enough money in the box office. Fear that I wouldn't have anything next. Fear mm-hmm. that we wouldn't sell. Fear that blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I would say right now, season three of Dear White People and my second feature, probably the first time I genuinely can experience joy while I'm doing what I love. Yeah. It's like I've always wanted to do this, but I it was very hard to experience joy. Do you think it's Why? because you feel like you've validated your place in the industry and now you have room to relax? Honestly, I think part of it's to do with I've been dealing with my depression yeah. directly. Yeah. And for me, that's meditation, it's Buddhism, but it's also medication. Mm-hmm. And um, Me too. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I like to talk about it because it's sort of like why these things really should not be taboo for black people to talk yeah. about. And that's a huge thing, I think, in the black community is, well, we're supposed to deal with it. Yeah. That's part yeah. of what we're taught to do. Yeah. I think a lot in black and poor communities, it's mm-hmm. not, it's, yeah, it's just suck it up. That's life. You don't get to complain. Yeah. Yeah. You have to prove that you're just as good, and that means you can't show weakness. Mm-hmm. And I also, look, I just didn't think it was a real thing. I, I thought that you take pills and you just feel f- falsely happy all the yeah. time. I don't wake up and feel happy because I'm on medication. Mm-hmm. I just get to wake up above ground. And function. And exactly. Function. I have less... I think depression and anxiety go hand in hand, yeah. but I think I have more of an anxiety tick where yeah. I like, and this was also during my, in 2016, I had a few months that I would say were probably the worst months of my life where I was I was having extreme anxiety mm-hmm. that was disrupting my everyday function. Mm-hmm. And my description at the time was I feel like I'm drowning. And like mm. I can make the difference yeah. between I'm sad and no, 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 but I'm on the boat and I'm floating, but I'm sad today mm-hmm. versus I, I am drowning and, and this is deeper. Yeah. And it's not about that I can't, I'm tired or I can't get out of bed, or, but I'm, it's something so much more profoundly just dark <laughs> that mm. I think people who don't experience it can't it's can never understand it really is a you know in your well I know in my mind that the feeling doesn't reflect what's actually happening yeah yeah but the feeling is much realer mm-hmm. than anything in my anything my mind is telling me yeah. it's like it feels like to me, it was like feeling like I was buried alive. It felt mm-hmm. like I was looking. I, I remember describing it to my therapist. It feels like I'm in a in a sewer, yeah. and I can see like the slits of light, you know, in the what do you call it, like the what, the porthole, the, or the manhole, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking up, and no one knows that I'm down in here. Yeah, you know. And I mean, for me, the difference has been, and I have to be first of all. I am so excited you got nominated for an Emmy. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> However, me not getting nominated for an Emmy and my show not getting mm-hmm. nominated was one of the best things that ever happened to me mm. because it was sort of like I, ca- I cared a little bit too much about it, I think. Yeah. I really did. And I realized when it didn't happen how uncomfortable that was mm-hmm. and how much of the joy of making that show it was blocking for mm-hmm. me. And really for me it's been about stripping away the expectations it's like yeah it is harder because i'm black and yeah i do have to show and prove more and yeah all that stuff but i always have to do it because i love it yeah i always have to do it for that reason yeah if i'm doing it because i'm trying to 
catch up or mm-hmm. be like someone else or like be seen or accolades or whatever. Um, that's not fun. Yeah, that's not fun. It doesn't make me and feel good. And it's about good. what what is your truth and yeah. how are you choosing to express your truth? Exactly. Like I love showing up to work. Yeah. And working with people who love this craft as much as I do and coming up with performances and coming up with story and coming up with ways to delight people mm-hmm. and trick people and make people think. That's the part I love. Mm-hmm. I don't love any of the rest of mm-hmm. it. So why am I caring so much about the rest? Like that the whole reason I couldn't enjoy Sundance and all that is because I was so caught up. Yeah. Well, I think it's because of having kind of sort of now dipped my feet into this world, mm-hmm. um, you know, Huge celebrities change because everybody around them changes. Yeah. The way you're treated changes. I mean, even on a set, like actors are babied, <laughs> you yeah, know, like they yeah, bring yeah. you everything. And like, I think in certain cases, that's maybe necessary if you have something emotional or, you know, you need to just need be it. available. Yeah. But there's so many situations where you're so protected and so insulated and you just lose touch with what the reality of day-to-day life is. And I think that can change personalities. And Mm -hmm. I think that can also, you know, people around you are telling you this is important or you have to campaign for this, you have to do this, you have to Mm -hmm. do that, you know, campaigning for the Emmys or campaigning for an Oscar and you get pay boosts if you like win an Oscar and stuff like that. And it's like, so what's the motivation? Is the motivation art and talent and, and work that is worth talking about and is worth yep. sharing or is it is it about popularity right. and i think it's hard to not it's hard to separate yourself from that when people are telling you and bombarding you with this is important or take branding and you have to do this magazine or that magazine and you needing to kind of push that aside and like and just remember what 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 do i want mm-hmm. you know and it's okay if that's what you want and it's okay totally. you know like if you're like i like lipstick i want to do it's this totally lipstick campaign okay. but you have to make sure it comes from your yes. truth of what do you want to do correct well i have to say y'all are kind of y'all, the whole cast mm-hmm. first of all i i stand for Orlando so hard but mm-hmm. like what I love about y'all is like y'all really act like y'all give a fuck. Like y'all are very like, <laughs> listen, here here are our truths, mm-hmm. okay? Like I don't know, listen, I don't know what you goes know, I think into that, the promotion or whatever, yeah. but I just gotta say, like, there's something about that. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like it really. I think we're in a moment where black people get to be frail and have issues and be complicated on TV, and that's exciting. Yes. But I feel like all of you guys, Donald, Brian, like the whole cast, Lakeith, you, you guys really do wear your humanity on your sleeves in Mm. the show Mm. and in the world. Mm. And I think, one, that's a really powerful thing for me, just Mm. personally. But it also, like, it. I was like, God, like, look at what they're up to. (laughs) You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, they're handling it in in a very specific kind of stride. Mm. And I think for me, the Emmys were not about being popular or winning or whatever. It really was about having the power in my sphere Mm -hmm. to make things the way that I want to. And the funny thing was is that in the process of campaigning for an Emmy nomination, which we did not get, I found that power in other places and Mm -hmm. in other ways. And it really didn't matter. Like It really was like about the show and it was about the way the show is made and promoted and it was about my movies and it was those those are the things that matter. And the rest of it really doesn't matter. The rest of it can be fun. Yeah. I think that's what it is, right? You you got to do it because it's fun, not because you, you have to, it's yeah, so important. Yeah, because it's fun and because I think also as artists, you know, this this is your vehicle of, of talking about your experience, right? Yeah. Whether it's through directing and writing or through acting or, 
if you're a painter, if you're a dancer, you know, this is this is your your way of processing. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think for me, again, sort of the adjustment into working in the industry is like, you know, it doesn't feel like high school theater where it's like you and your friends are doing something together. All of a sudden, there are all these other stakes involved. Stakes. And you're like, I have to... I have to be held accountable for all these other people and, you know, all of a sudden, like, a you know, a dollar bill is hanging on, like, what my performance does or doesn't do. And I think, you know, it can be easy to to confuse, well, what do they need from me versus what is just truthful, right? Yeah. That that's that's hard though, and it I think is. with Donald and I think with Atlanta, I think Donald did a really good job, sort of of leading with, if we don't get a second season, it's fine, yeah, man. you know. And I yeah. think that you was really nice for all of us to be informed with. Oh yeah, like he's just let's see what happens. Yeah, let's just see what happens yeah. and like have the organic flow. Do you think for you with your white people, do you feel like you have a place where you want to end it or like? You are you like excited to always to work on it forevermore? Or are you in like um, a no? I mean, like you said, I've been working on it since two thousand five. Yeah. So in the interim of getting it made, I've had a lot of other ideas mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure. I've constructed it in a way where it gets to be a playground. Mm-hmm. So like each season does. I yeah, mean, season so two is so different than season one, yeah. and sort of the format is weird, and we kind of like. I've made it in a way where I get to do what is inspiring to me that particular season. Mm-hmm. But I think that, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I have to move on and tell other stories. And if the audience wants more of Dear White People, well, that's great. But that doesn't mean that I have to have my hand in the clay every single day. Yeah, I think in my mind, I, I see where Sam, Lionel, Troy, and Coco, that sort of core group, I see where they're going. Mm-hmm. But now there's all these other characters that people really love. Yeah. And so, yeah, there might be a baton pass, y'all. Or it might just have to end. I don't know. But I, I know that I'm I'm making a movie now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And I know that when I finish that, I'm going to want to make another movie. And I'm yeah. going to want to make another show. I just have other stuff going on in my yeah. mind. And yeah. getting it out is more fun and more enjoyable and more important to me than appeasing everyone who is gathered around one thing. Mm-hmm. So I don't, to answer your question, I really don't know where I'm done. I'm not done yet. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. I still have stories to tell in that world. And, uh, you know, as long as it doesn't kill me, I'm going to keep trying to do them all at once. I don't know, girl. That may not work. We're going to see. We'll see. I'm doing podcast. I'm doing too much. But, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I'm having fun. And it took me a while to have fun. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go with it for now. Yeah. How about you? Are you having fun yet? I'm having fun. I go in and out. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I'm having fun. I I um the I think the biggest the biggest um transition into me having fun has been practicing gratitude. Mm. Um and I think for me that was a pretty I have been lacking in my gratitude journal. Thank you for saying that. Right? You know, yeah. I, that was a pretty transformative kind of realization. That's was, a real, it really just be works. Grateful. You know what? Even me and David, our asses were in a junket. We were like, the fuck? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you know what? Pause. Hold on. All our room service is getting paid for. Okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. like, all these tickets are paid for. We're in London. Like, why am I, where, what, where's, let me focus on the gratitude. Yes. And that, in all respects, has been incredibly healing. You know what I just read? Um, 
I was reading Codependency No More. Oh, my God. My grandma gave me that book. Oh, well, shout out to grandma. <laughs> well, I was reading the sequel. She wrote a sequel to it. Anyway, point is, I was reading one of her books. And mm. she said, her gratitude journal, she put a twist on it that I love, mm. which is write the things that you're grateful for and write the things that you can't fucking stand right now, that you mm. cannot bear, and then claim that you're grateful for those things, too. Ooh. And it really... Even though you think you, you're like, yeah, okay, that's a cute idea. When you actually do it, it yeah. there's a brain wire that you can feel attached. Yes. It, truly. And you start to realize, oh, my God, there's so many things that I hated that produced wonderful results. Yes. Just given time. Yes. And I wouldn't want my life any other way. But at the time, I couldn't see it. Yeah. So now, if I give gratitude to the things that I really absolutely hate— Maybe not all of them going to work out, mm-hmm. but if, say, 65% of them end up somewhere good yeah. or higher, yeah. I've, I enjoyed that part of my life yes. <laughs> as opposed yeah. to worried and stressed out over things that I had no control over. Yeah. And I'm not saying I do this every day, but I really should because it works. <laughs> it's helpful. It really does work. I think it's also amazing and probably – I feel like probably people with mental health might also have a little bit more of a connection to some to, like, a feeling of – oh, your brain also can change mm-hmm. or like your mind can be changed. Like there are a lot of things that I feel like I used to think or do where I'm like, I'm never going to change. That's just, not, that's just me. That's just that's the way just, I am. That's just that's the way, the way I am. Yeah. And you really, really can genuinely from the inside out change how you think and mm-hmm. change how well, you they, approach something. Well, now they've even figured out – and this is actually going to lead me to a really cute segue, so bear with okay. me, everyone. But – uh, now they figured out that you can actually change your gene expression. So if what? <laughs> yes, they, they've scientifically f- seen it happen. Where like, say, you know, you what? have a you Isn't have a, that that it's is crazy, right? Sick. That it's yo, crazy. That is crazy. It's crazy. Where like, you know, if you have, let's say, you're prone to anxiety, depression, whatever it might yeah. be, and it's genetically you are predisposed. Is it like to through something. deep breathing or something? No, like that? no, but but it just if you do that rewiring mm-hmm. work, whether that's meditation, gratitude journal, therapy, whatever that thing is for you. Your genes reflect your conscious intentions and decisions mm-hmm. at a certain point. Now, listen, you can't turn yourself into an elephant. Or so. yeah. I'm not saying that. But, like, the genes that are responsible for our emotions are far more malleable than we ever thought. Well, they thought. also talk about how, like, genetic trauma is— You pass it on. You pass it on. Epigenetics, yeah. Um, but it works the other way. Mm-hmm. It works in the same way that your gene expression can pass trauma on. Yeah. You can pass things like gratitude yeah, and positive thinking true. and excitement. You can actually do it the other way too. It's yeah, harder. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's possible. It's possible. That's really cool. Okay, so that. here's my segue. Okay. You ready for it? I feel like the most change I've endured in my life happened when I began my relationship. Me too. Do you feel that way too? I do. Well, it's a giant mirror. It's oh, girl. <laughs> I'd be so mad at Rick for shit I do all the time. I know. Me too. Um, <laughs> all right. So, listen, next week we're going to bring our bays on. Are y'all ready? Our white bays. Everyone, this is the controversial, this is the most controversial conversation ever. Slash is going to be cute too. I'm excited. Me too. Don't Ooh. at me, Justin's a C. Did I say it right? Beautiful. Beats. Woo. 
I would love to thank Zasi Bates, producer Gina Delvac. Special thanks to Vishnu Vallabhanani. Our production engineers, Sean O'Brien and Ray Warner. Head of programming, Gary Scott. Of course, Chris Bowers, who created our theme song. This is Don't At Me with Justin Simeon. And now that the show's over, at all you want. Just please, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and leave us a review. It really helps. We will be back next week with another episode of Don't At Me from the one and only KCRW.